Today is an interesting day and just it's the end of really what we would think of as that time between Christmas and Easter because in just three days Lent will begin. In three days we'll have Ash Wednesday imposition of ashes, the celebration of one final communion service before Monday, Thursday, and Easter. And we will, for 40 days, focus on being penitent, on our shortcomings, on our struggles. We will remember that Jesus is indeed the, indeed the king, and we are his subjects, but we are woefully lacking. The 40 days of Lent mirror the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted. There intended to be a time of reflection, a season marked by the color purple, reminding us of that lordship, of our anticipation of Easter, for reminding us of our need to be penitent. Often during Lent, the temptations of Jesus in the desert, which we've already looked at as part of this current series, are part of the lectionary reading. It's during that last week of Lent, also known as Holy Week, that Jesus established the sacrament of communion on Monday, Thursday. It begins with Palm Sunday. There's his cleansing of the temple on Monday. There's what happened on Monday, Thursday with, the, with communion. There's his crucifixion on Good Friday, his time in the tomb on Saturday and Easter Sunday. A lot happens in a week. And on that Thursday night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, that Monday, Thursday, as was his practice with his disciples, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. But this time it was different. This time he was hard-pressed. He was feeling the weight, literally, of the world upon him because he knew that the next day he would die bearing the sin of the world on his shoulders. Gethsemane is an olive garden, and the name Gethsemane means press, wine press, and that's the place that they would harvest the fruit and then squeeze out the oil. And it was there that Jesus felt his very life being squeezed out from him. It was there that he dealt with on this night that he was betrayed, the temptation to despair. But Jesus wasn't the only one dealing with the temptation to despair. It's something we all wrestle with from time to time. I'm sure we have all experienced grief and despair. So did Jesus, and so did his disciples. If you read before the scripture we read this morning, there's that institution of the Lord's Supper, and Jesus watched his disciples. I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, verse 21 of Matthew 26. The response of the disciples was quick and to the point. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, not me, Lord, surely not I. No one wanted to be the one to betray him. No one thought they could do it. But it's this interesting little two words at the very beginning of their response that catches my eye. They were very sad, very sad. 
Very sad is a poor English translation of what they were feeling. The Greek verb is lupomenoi, which means to be in great distress. Now, I don't know how you get very sad from great distress. It also means to have a heavy heart. It also means to grieve. It's one of three Greek verbs that are used for the words despair and depression. Now, two days before this, Jesus had brought up a topic that his disciples didn't want to hear, something he's mentioned several times before this, but now he's saying, my time is at hand. He's talking about a betrayer, and he's been talking about his imminent death. So his talk of betrayal and death had put a damper on the evening, and everyone was depressed and afraid of what was coming and what it would personally mean to them. After dinner, they went to Gethsemane. Jesus telling his disciples to sit here while I go pray. He, he takes Peter and James and John a little bit farther on and asks them to pray with him. And the Bible tells us in verse 37 that he was sorrowful and troubled. Now, would it surprise you to know that that first word, sorrowful, in the Greek is the same word for very sad that describes the disciples up in verse 22. It's lupomenoi. It means, once more, in case you forgot, to be depressed. And the word troubled, he was sorrowful and troubled, is another of those three Greek verbs for depression and despair. It is adamone, which also means depressed and despairing. So what Matthew's trying to tell us as Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray is he's not sorrowful and troubled, he's depressed, depressed. Now, if you're depressed, depressed, if you're repeating it a couple times, that tells you the depths. Matthew's used two of three Greek words for depression to show you the depths of the depression that Jesus was feeling, the grief, the pain that he felt as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, that Jesus might feel depressed is one thing, but that he might be so depressed that he'd be tempted to abandon the reason he was born is something we don't like to think about. We don't like to think about Jesus having those kinds of emotions that we think of as negative emotions, like depression and despair. We like to think of Jesus as Superman. He doesn't have those issues, and that's how the disciples like to think of him. That's why they were depressed, because they could tell that he was Something was wrong. He was depressed. He was talking about death and destruction and betrayal. But the scripture gives us a different perspective on Jesus being depressed than the one we want to take. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And Hebrews 2.18 tells us that this should be an encouragement to us because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted and suffering. 
So folks, what the Bible's telling us is if you're depressed, if you're despairing, if you're concerned about what's going on and feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, you have hope because Jesus has experienced that. He knows what that's like. He knows what you're going through. And he who has gone through it and come out the other side can minister to you and give you hope. As Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It's not just that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses because he was tempted and didn't sin, but because of that, we can approach him in his throne of mercy and grace to find help when we need it. So I wanna say, thank God that Jesus experienced depression, that he knew what it meant to be afraid and to despair. Because Jesus experienced depression, we can confidently say to those who are depressed, depression's no sin. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to despair. It's an emotion. Emotions are neutral. It's what we do with the emotions that cause us to sin or not sin. To give in to depression to the point of despair, to give in to it so that you find yourself stuck, unable to move, unable to go forward, overwhelmed to the point of giving up, that's sinful. But to have depression and be depressed is not. I like what Dale Bruner says in his commentary about this passage. He says, Gethsemane's emotions do not bring shame to Jesus and his humanity. They prove it. So if you're feeling depressed and confused or you're heart sick about something, don't be ashamed. Those emotions make you human. It's who you are. But it's what you do with them that's important. It's the response that determines whether <clears throat> depression will lead us into acting in sin. So how did Jesus deal with his depression? Let's learn from him. Let's not only seek his comfort and grace and help in time of need, but let's learn how he dealt with depression and despair so we can face it the same way. How did Jesus respond when he was depressed? We did three things according to the, the scripture in Matthew. The first thing he did is he prayed. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And as he prayed, he, he didn't just go off by himself to pray, which was often his habit. He did something that <clears throat> we don't see him doing in other scriptures. He sought the support and the prayers of others, his closest associates, his friends. He took Peter and James and John aside. <clears throat> he asked the disciples to pray for him while, while he left them. He took his others and said, pray with me. Of course, they were unable to help him because of their weakness and tiredness. They crashed. But Jesus sought their support. We can pray. We can seek the support of others. But also, and ultimately, Jesus sought the support, the comfort, the help of God, his Father. I think Jesus' depression, like ours, is based on grief, a deep sense of loss. Folks, Jesus grieved. He knew depression. 
And what caused his grief wasn't just the fact of his coming, his impending. Less than 24 hours later, death. I believe what caused Jesus' grief was his anticipation of loss. Perhaps along with a sense of failure. Because he had anticipated that his friends would betray him. He knew that they would all leave him. As indeed Matthew's scripture tells us they did at the end of the passage we read this morning. He was left alone with those who would put him to death. He had poured his life, his heart, all that he knew, all that he was into the life of these 12 men. And 11 ran away and one turned him over to the authorities to put him to death. Wouldn't that make you a bit depressed? They hadn't gotten it. They didn't understand. They wanted Jesus to be who they wanted him to be, not the type of king, Messiah, that he really was. Jesus knew the loss of his friends, but more than that, Jesus was unique. He was truly human, but he was also very God, two natures in one person. And when he died on the cross, there's something about God that we need to keep in mind. God can't stand sin. God turns his back on us when we're lost in sin. Not, he's always there for us, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when we sin, God abandons us. That's not the, that's not the case. But God, the presence of God, we feel lost and alone when we sin because God can't sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. But here's Jesus, the God-man, who was going to take the burden, the sin of the world, all the sins that were yet to come, including yours and mine, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren yet to be born, upon himself. So at that moment, we had this strange, crazy thing where God had to turn his back on God. Where Jesus, as God-man, who was one person with two natures, was suddenly felt what it was like to be torn apart as the Godhood of Jesus couldn't deal with the humanity of Jesus as the humanity of Jesus took the full burden of our sin. Imagine that. You who had been since before creation began suddenly feeling totally lost and alone. In that moment, I would say Jesus knew hell because hell is to not be in the presence of God for eternity. And in that moment, Jesus went to hell. He experienced hell. He knew what it was like for those who have turned their back on God. But he cared so much for you and for I that he had to go forward. And so he prayed and he prayed, God, give me strength, not my will, because I don't want to do this. I don't want to experience that. Not my will, but yours. In depression, Jesus turned to God and prayed for help. And he received God's help. And because of that, we can turn to Jesus in our time of need and receive the help that God gives us. Now, it's important for us to, to look beyond just the fact that God helped Jesus because what was the next thing that happened to Jesus as God helped him and heard his prayer and strengthened him and encouraged him? He still endured the cross. 
The only way out of that depression and despair was to take it to the very end, to, to walk all the way through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus endured the cross for us. He went through the ultimate time of despair and depression to come out the other side that we might too come out the other side. We feel depressed from time to time. We know feelings of loss, of failure, of betrayal. We understand what it's like to be burdened with cares, concerns, and sin. But Jesus' example in Gethsemane shows us that we need not give in to that despair. Though we face strong emotion, God will give us strength to get through those difficult emotional times. In the midst of the disciples' depression, in the midst of his own depression, Jesus sought God and found hope. In the midst of our depression, Jesus offers hope. He gives us grace. He gives us the gift of himself. And so as you come to Ash Wednesday service, and at the end, after we have made all the confession of our sin, as we move from one side of the sanctuary to the other, showing our journey of faith, and we hear familiar words, this is my body broken for you, my blood shed for you, may they hold new meaning for you. May you see the depths that God went to, the pain that Jesus felt to give you hope, new life, through faith. Jesus facing despair, Jesus overcoming despair to accomplish the work of God gives us hope. And because Jesus overcame despair, because he overcame the concerns, the sin that entangles us all, we can lay down at the foot of the cross those struggles, that despair, that depression, because Jesus has provided for us grace. Yes, Jesus has provided for us grace, not grace to avoid the difficult times, not grace to keep us from experiencing depression, but grace that can keep us from giving in to despair and moving into new life. In Jesus, we have hope. Because if Jesus can pass through the valley of the shadow of death into the light of morning, we can have courage in the midst of the temptations of this life. We can and we will overcome the temptation even to despair. God will see us through the difficult times of life as we follow the example of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and turn to him. If you're overcome by loss, by burdens, by cares, by depression, seek the grace of God and find hope and help. Let us pray. God of grace, we give you thanks for the opportunity to come before you this morning. And we pray that you would grant us your grace. We are overcome. Our world scares us. We don't understand what's happening, what it might mean. We feel small and insignificant. Some of us know what it's like to be stabbed in the back by a friend. It hurts. We're still angry. We still don't get it. But we know that your purpose is greater. 
your love is stronger. Grant us grace and strength to move forward, to not give in to despair and anger and sin, but to press on to the light of a new morning, new life, forgiveness and grace and faith in the one who is faithful even to the grave and then into new life, resurrection, and hope for all who trust in him. Strengthen us, O Lord. Grant us your presence. Make us a blessing to those who struggle as you are with us in our struggles. In Jesus' name, amen.